0: Let's all stand, please, if you would, and we are going to read Luke chapter 6. We're going to read verses 13 through 16. I'm always amazed at the Bible. It's such an amazing, fascinating book, and sometimes I sit down with a text or a subject and I think, how in the world am I going to dig something out of it? And after a while, God gives you more than you can can, uh, put down on paper and present to somebody. And so we're going to talk about some unnamed, or really, uh, they're named disciples, but that's all we know about them. And so let's try and pull a sermon out of that if we can. All right, Luke chapter six verse thirteen. And when it was day, he called unto uh, unto him his disciples, and one of them, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter. Now remember, in every list that's given, Simon is first on the list, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Tim- and Thomas. Now we're getting into some some that are not very familiar. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot. Now Judas Iscariot is the traitor. He's always last, which is also the traitor. It designates there. But I want to preach tonight right there in the middle there in verse 15. I want to talk about James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James, Title of my message tonight is this: Can God use me? Can God use me? And let's look at it tonight, Heavenly Father. I pray that you'd help us. Thank you for these men. That not much is said about them, but enough is said uh, that we can understand that you care and love us, and you want to use us, no matter who we are. And I pray that you would encourage us tonight with that truth. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Maybe seated. Appreciate you standing. Well, some of you that are sports fans would recognize the 1992 USA Olympic basketball team. You would know that that team was very significant because it was the very first Olympic basketball team where the United States used players from the NBA, professional players. And it has been affectionately nicknamed the Dream Team, the Dream Team. I mean, if you didn't know this, but it had players like Michael Jordan on it, Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird. And what's interesting about that team is it, pl- it had eight different opponents in that Olympics, and it beat the- their opponents by an average of 44 points. Average of 44 points. I mean, this was an amazing team. In fact, everybody was so enamored with this particular team that sometimes, while they were playing basketball, the guy guarding Magic Johnson was looking at his friends like, hey, take my picture, you know? Like, I mean, they were just so fascinated with that team. If you remember, their coach was Chuck Daly. Chuck Daly, very accomplished coach. The NBA won some championships with the Detroit Pistons. But this is what he said. He said, it was like Elvis and the Beatles put together. Traveling with the dream team was like traveling with 12 rock stars. That's all I can compare it to. That's what he said. Now you can imagine everywhere they went, it was a celebrity status. It was amazing. And we still talk about that team to to this day. The dream team. Well, Jesus assembled a team as well. But I don't know that we would call this team the dream team. I, I, I don't know if we could call it that. In fact, what I see when I look at this team, it's kind of a ragtag uh, bunch of people put together. I mean, we have guys on this team that are totally overestimating themselves. I mean, you got guys like Peter, James, and John. I mean, they 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 think they got it all together, and it's very obvious they don't. They overestimated themselves. These were guys that were speaking when they should be silent. These are guys that are clueless about things that they should have easily understood. I mean, these guys were kind of a mess. But I want you to stop and think about this team. In one way, they were not the dream team. In another way, you maybe could call them a dream team because in a sense, the church exists today because they took the gospel to the ends of their world. I mean, I don't know if you connect these dots, but our church here today in Anderson, South Carolina of all places, is here today because these men were faithful to reach their world with the gospel in their day. In fact, according to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 14, the Bible tells us that when we have the new city, that their work will be commemorated by being permanently etched into the foundation of that city. You say, well, how's that going to look? I I don't know, but I'm going to be there and I'll let you know when I see it. But we do know that the Bible says that their names are going to be etched into the foundation of that city. And how exciting would that be? It's exciting to see your name on something. You know, several years ago, I was preaching at a teen camp in Louisville, Kentucky. And I snuck away one afternoon and went and played golf at a really nice golf course. It was owned by a casino. I didn't go to the casino. I just went to the golf course. And uh, on one of the holes, a par uh, three, is about 165 yards out. I hit my shot, landed on the green, rolled from one side to the other, dropped in the hole for a hole in one. It was exciting, man. The golf course was really cool. They took the pin, uh, the flag off the pin and gave it to me. I got it framed. It's hanging in my office. And they also etched my name on a plaque in the the clubhouse of people that got hole-in-ones on that particular hole. Several years later, a friend of mine was playing at the same course, took my picture with my name on it, and sent a picture to me of it. Say, hey, there you are. Hey, that's me. I'm world famous. I got got it etched into a a clubhouse of a chariot-run golf course right there in Louisville, Kentucky. These guys have their name etched in the foundation of the new city of Jerusalem. How about that? They were amazing people. But you would say, well, I understand Peter uh, on that list. I understand James and John on that list. I might even understand Andrew on that list. But what about these guys? Let me give you a fun fact about these 12. Fun fact, three of the 12 had the same name. So think about that. They shared names. Two men were named James, two men were named Simon, and two men were named Judas. Now think about those sections of two. Out of each one of those sections of two, one of those characters was very, very famous. Simon Peter, of course, was very, very prominent and famous. Simon the Zealot, or Simon Zelotes, he's not very well known. You have Judas, not Iscariot, the Bible calls him in one place, and Judas Iscariot. One was very familiar and prominent, one was not. And then you also have James. You have James the son of Zebedee, and here we have James the less we're going to look at. So that's very interesting that these men shared the same names, and one of the two was very prominent, and the other was very obscure. I've got a series of questions I'd like to ask you tonight. First question I'd like to ask you is this, is does God only call the extrovert? Does God only call the guy that's very flamboyant and big in his personality? Does God only call the person who is very charismatic? And of course you understand I'm not referring to theology, I'm referring to personality. Is that who God calls? Does he only call the Peters and the Pauls of this world? I love Peter. He's my favorite character in the Bible. You know that. He's fascinating to study. His letters are magnificent. We're getting ready in in a series on Sunday. Uh, We're going to start studying the life of Paul. We've studied the life of Peter. Now we're going to study the life of Paul. Paul was a different personality than than Peter, but I think we would all admit Paul seems to be some kind of type A driven kind of person. And Is that all the kind of people that, that God calls in this world? Does God only call the uniquely gifted does God only call the specially trained? I have a question. What about those people who, whose quiet is a part of their personality? Doesn't God call them? Can't God use them? Because some people are wired that way. And by the way, if everybody was like Peter or everybody was like Paul, we'd have a mess on our hands. <laughs> I guarantee you the population wouldn't get to 8 billion, man. Somebody would be killing somebody, you know? Who is it that God delights to use? Again, I want to bring out in this text that there's virtually nothing said about James the son of Alphaeus. And if I cornered you in the lobby, I I, I bet I could say, hey, could you name all 12 apostles? And there'd be some in this room that could name them. But I bet many of us would go, oh, you know, Peter, and and then there was James and John, and uh, uh, Judas Iscariot. And uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. I I imagine there would be a lot of people that would be struggling to come up with James, the son of Alphaeus, James the less, Simon Zelotes. And and we would have a difficult time uh, remembering some of these people because virtually nothing is said about Them other than their names. You say, why is that? I think there's a reason for that. The reason is really that the Gospels are not about them. The Gospels are about Jesus. The Gospels are not about what these men accomplished. The Gospels are about what Jesus taught. The Gospels are not about what these men did. These, the Gospels are about what Jesus did. But these men are included in that story because it teaches us that they are examples of the fact that God loves to use weak and common people like you and like me. So who are the kinds of people that God can use? Obviously, we know He can use a man like Peter, a guy who's out front and brave and not afraid to stick his neck on the line. He can clearly use a man like Paul who is organized and driven and and has a vision and can know how to implement that vision. He can use people like that and thank God that he does. But these men indicate that there are some other personality types that God can use too. And so let's take a look at them tonight. I want to give you three types of people God can use. And we'll draw the types of these people from each one of these names that has been given. Number one, I want you to see this. God can use insignificant people. God can use insignificant people. You know, the only thing Scripture tells us about James here is his name. James, the son of Alphaeus. He sought no recognition. He displayed no great leadership in his life. We have no record in the Gospels that he ever asked any significant question of Jesus. We know that in some of the disciples' cases, they spoke up, and maybe their question was a dumb question, but God used their dumb question to give us content in Scripture. These men never asked any questions. James never did. We don't know of any special significant task that he accomplished. The only thing that we have about him in the Bible is his name, and even his name was pretty common. Think about all the people in the Bible named James. In the group of 12, somebody else shared his name. He didn't even have his own name in the group of 12. In fact, in Mark chapter 15 and verse 40, he's referred to as James the Less. That doesn't sound like a compliment to me. Why'd they call him James the Less? Well, that Greek word, less, really indicates one of two things. It either means younger or it means little. Most Bible commentators believe that it means little. It means smaller. So it seems like it's kind of a nickname, kind of picking on his stature. Maybe he's a short guy. Uh, you think, well, Zacchaeus was wee. Maybe James was too. I don't know. Wee little man. Maybe he's a little skinny guy, little short skinny guy. I don't know. Uh, short, small framed man. Basically what we conclude uh, from this name, James the Less, we conclude that he was a small man with a common name that was easily overlooked. I was thinking about that. A small man with a common name that's easily overlooked. Anybody can relate to that? I'll tell you, I like telling this when I preach at teen camps just because I love the looks on people's faces, especially the girls. I tell them about when I was in high school. When I was entering my freshman year in high school, I... I started wrestling in seventh grade, and the reason I wrestled in seventh grade is I, I got into wrestling because I wanted people to, I just kind of wanted to pr- prove that little guys were, were tough too. I was a little guy, and so I got into wrestling. I joke with people and tell them I was in the helium weight class. <laughs> if you don't remember anything about science, helium is the lightest weight gas, and so I was in the helium weight class. When I was entering my freshman year, we started wrestling that year, and I wrestled at the Fairfield Freshman Invitational. Fairfield Freshman Invitational Law, I I wrestled in the lowest weight class possible for freshmen. Brother, I don't know whether it's changed now, but when I wrestled there, the lowest weight class was 92 pounds for freshmen. Everybody goes, man, you were a freshman, 92 pounds, oh, the story gets better. (laughs) If you know anything about wrestling, you know you have to make weight. You cannot weigh more than your weight class. You have to be under that. It could be a half an ounce, but you've got to be under that. And so I'm not trying to be crude, but a lot of times guys will weigh in. They won't have a stitch of clothing on because they they can't have anything weighing on them. i never had that problem. I weighed in in my Air Jordans, my jeans, my book bag. It didn't matter. I just step up on the scale. (laughs) So I was was, uh, weighing in at this 92-pound weight class. I remember I stepped up on the scale. And, man, they had an old-fashioned scale, got the weights on it. I remember that guy, I stepped up on there and... The guy started sliding that thing, and he looked at me, and he's sliding the thing, sliding the thing, and, sliding the thing, and sliding, the thing, sliding the thing, sliding the thing, finally got it balanced. 92-pound weight class, I weighed in at 78 pounds. I was either 14 or 15 years old. Some of you say, man, I weighed that much in the first grade. I know, that's, that's my point. <laughs> I remember there was another little punk that weighed in at 81 pounds and he was standing right by the scale and he went, yes, somebody's lighter than me. And I thought, I want to wrestle that guy so bad. <laughs> hey, before you laugh too hard, I, I came in third place in that tournament. I still have the medal. It's in my desk. I, every once in a while, i open up a little drawer in the front of my desk and I'll look at that medal. Third place in a 92-pound weight class. I only weighed 78 pounds. I came in third place. But there were only three wrestlers in that <laughs> class, so <laughs> kind of... Kind of keeps me humble there, you know. <laughs> I was thinking about that story and I was thinking about James the Less. I can relate to having a common name. My name, for crying out loud, is Mike Jones. <laughs> I, I, can, I can relate to being small in stature. I can, I can relate to being overlooked by many. I guarantee if I showed up to my 25-year reunion class party, I bet most people wouldn't even remember I even existed in that class. We might say about James the Less and about many of us that our only distinguishing mark in this world is our obscurity. See, I think what James the Less reminds us is that there are many, many unnamed people that God has used. Do you remember if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, those of you that are familiar with their Bible, Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the Hall of Faith. Not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. And it talks about how by faith Noah did this, and by faith Moses did that, and by faith Abraham did this. And and if you get down to the end of the chapter, you might remember in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 36, it says this, and of others. It doesn't even give their name, it just says by faith there were others. And it gives this little clarifying mark of them. Of whom the world was not worthy. Oh, everybody might have looked over James the less. They might have written him off as just a common man with a common name. Some little skinny guy over in the corner, a little short guy. And they might not have paid much attention to him because he, he might not have meant much to the grand scheme of the world. He wasn't impressive in any way. But I'm telling you, the Bible says because of his faith, the world was not worthy of him. You understand what made James, or any man for that matter, important was not their stature and how tall they stood. It was not their personality and their talents that could accomplish much. What made these men important was none of those things. What made these men important was the Lord that they served and the message that they proclaimed. See, if we lack details about the men themselves, that's okay. That doesn't matter at all. We know, according to Revelation 21, that heaven in due time will reveal the truth of who they were and what they did. Won't it be wonderful to meet men like Peter and sit down and talk to him and say, hey, what was it like to walk on water? I mean, what was it like to sink in the water and have Jesus pull you out? I mean, what was it like to be uh, uh, there at the empty tomb and see all of that? But won't it be wonderful to sit down with men like James the Less and say, you know, John put this little verse in his gospel. And he said the books, the, the books of the world couldn't contain all that Jesus did. James, why don't you tell me some of your stories? Won't it be wonderful to hear the record there? Because I assure you the record is there. But until then, in the meantime, it's enough to know that they were chosen by the Lord. And not only were they chosen by the Lord, these men that are just named and that's it were empowered by the Spirit. And they were used by God. And so make no mistake about it tonight. God can use insignificant people. You see, the vessel is not the issue here. The issue is the master. Listen, I want to encourage you a little bit. If providence keeps you out of the spotlight, don't complain about that. I think God might be doing you a favor. See, being in the spotlight a lot of the times, that brings an added weight, brings an added measure of criticism, of attention, both positive and negative. And a lot of times what we see is we want the positive attention, but you understand that with that comes a lot of negative attention as well. All I'm saying to you tonight is this, is God is in the business of using insignificant people. And I, for one, am grateful for that. Because if God didn't use insignificant people, the truth of the matter is, I'd never be allowed on His team. And I'm glad I'm on His team. Number two, God can use intense people. I'm thankful for that. You say, where are you getting that? Well, let's look at our next character, Simon Zelote. Simon, what it's saying there is Simon the Zealot. See, the only thing we know about him comes, again, from his name, Simon the Zealot. Now, the historian Josephus, who was alive during the time of Christ, he was not a believer. He was just a a Jewish historian that wrote of things in that time period, and he described four basic parties among the Jews at this time. Of course, we know about the Pharisees. What we know about the Pharisees is basically, usually it has a negative connotation, but, but the Pharisees were basically the religious fundamentalists of their time. I mean, they, they held to the fundamentals of the faith. They were very, very conservative. They were more of the blue-collar branch of theology of that day. And I know they had a lot of problems, but they, they had a lot of good things as well. Sometimes we, we just focus on the negative, but they were a very powerful sect. We know that they were primarily an enemy of Christ. The Sadducees were another group there, and they would have been the religious liberals of the day. They were very aristocratic, white-collar, very wealthy, very powerful, but they were the religious uh, liberals. We kind of know that they denied the supernatural, right? They they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. They denied those kind of things. There's another group that's not talked about much, but the Essenes, and they were kind of a reclusive group. They uh, separated from everybody and just kind of withdrew from everybody and just wanted to study the law and study the Bible all the time or scriptures all the time, and that was that group. And then this group that Simon came from, and that's the Zealots. The Zealots, rather than being religiously motivated, they were more politically minded. And that what they existed for is they wanted to overthrow the government, uh, the Roman government, by force. So the best thing that we could liken them today would be more like the, the Muslim fundamentalists of today. I mean, if, if it didn't matter, ends justify the means. If we got to kill somebody to do it, then that's what we're going to do. And this was where Simon kind of came from. The fact that this title is attached to him, Simon the Zealot, indicates to us that he was an intense man. If you were around Simon, you might, you might say, you find yourself saying something like this, hey, relax. You ever been around somebody who's like, hey, just relax. Hey, calm down. Maybe you say, chill out. Lighten up. That would have been an issue that Simon had. Now, I want to say a few things about these intense people. Sometimes intense people intimidate others. I mean, they're just, I mean, they're wired different. I mean, they, they, they're, they're on charge about everything. And sometimes that, that intimidates other people. It's, it's a bit much for some. In fact, we could say not only does it intimidate some people, sometimes it irritates people. But I would say this on their behalf: You might get irritated or intimidated by people who are intense, but they are effective people. I mean, think about intense people that you know. Yeah, they might irritate you sometimes, but you know what? What they do is they're dependable when things get going tough. I mean, they're, they're the people that you can kind of count on because I mean, they're raring to go all the time. They're motivational and they're inspiring. They, they, they have a measure of respectability to them because they accomplish much. And, and, and this is what I think about intense people. I, I personally like intense people. Uh, sometimes you might think that may, maybe I'm too intense for you sometimes. I've, I've been accused of that at times. But the thing is that what I like about intense people, and, and the truth of the matter is, 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 I wanted my kids to be intense. Some of you are like, well, mission accomplished. Okay, that, that's fine. I just didn't want them to have video game phase and do nothing because I want them to be effective people in this world. And here's what I've learned about intense people. Oh, there's a danger with intense people. If you set them on the wrong path, oh boy, that can be really dangerous, because if they're living for the Lord, that's great, but if they're living for the devil, boy, they're they're all in. These can either be some of the greatest saints that you know or some of the biggest sinners you know, these intense people. And, and I, just, I just want you to know that, man, praise God for the intensity of people. And again, I understand that sometimes some of the things they do might be irritating and might be a bit much. But, I, but again, man, I want to do everything in my ministry to point people like that, that have that gift, that have that personality. Point them in all the right directions because when they are pointed in the right direction, man, they can be amazing. And I guess what I'm just trying to say to you tonight is this, is that there is a place in spiritual leadership for people who have thunderous personalities. And there's plenty of people in this world that want to sit back and say, well, cool it, Zippy. But I want to say, hey, you go, man. Just make sure it's channeled in the right direction. And it's interesting to me that God called this guy that had this passionate personality that was prone to swing to extremes. And he pulled him out of one extreme and threw him into the right extreme. Pretty awesome. Let me give you a third personality here tonight. God can use insecure people. Let's read our next character. It says, in Judas, the brother of James. I love how he's described in John chapter 14. It says, Judas, and it gives this little clarifier, not Iscariot. (laughs) I like that. And if my name was Judas and I was running that crowd, I would be that, I'd have a name tag, not Iscariot, not that guy, you know? In fact, in in Matthew, he is called Labius, whose surname is Thaddeus. And as I was doing some research and studying, that that name Labius, whose surname is Thaddeus, they were basically, uh, what most commentators said, they were basically derisive nicknames that basically amounted to this, mama's boy. He was mama's boy. James, the mama's boy. You know what that seems to indicate to me? That uh, he indicated insecurity in the group. And I want you to know this, this evening that insecurity is oftentimes a form of fear. Um, we, we would use that word if I was standing on a porch that was rotting I'd be a little insecure man is this thing gonna hold me up there's an insecurity that comes with that right it's a form of fear I mean if, if the other day me and my son Mark we were out in the neighborhood inviting people to church and he was doing one side of the road and I was doing the other and there was this uh, big Doberman pincher I mean he had his ears pinned his tail bob big old Doberman pincher and they had about a four foot fence and that Doberman pincher's head was like right here and man, he was just, and you could see, I was kind of watching Mark make sure he was okay, and Mark was over there, I mean, you could tell, he, he was not comfortable. <laughs> he was just, yikes, you know. Well, that's, that's, that's a God-given instinct, right? God gave insecurity, his dog's barking and carrying on, and could have easily jumped that fence. Obviously, it's going to create a sense of insecurity. See, our insecurity serves as a warning that we are vulnerable, and we don't like feeling vulnerable. None of us do. So, a lot of times we talk about being an insecure person, uh, being insecure, feeling insecure, being an in- insecure person. And so, basically, what we mean is when we're an insecure person, we kind of lack self confidence. Maybe some of us have a, have a, a big measure of, of fear. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of disapproval, we're, we're afraid of rejection. I don't know too many people who who just enjoy being rejected. I know there's some out there. There's some of these intense people that that doesn't bother them at all. I was listening to an interview with a CEO of a company, and they were talking about business success, and they said this. One thing, if you want to make it in business, you you have to totally be be immune to rejection. And I thought, well, how do you do that? You know, as a pastor, I, I deal with that. You deal with rejection when people leave the church, and this is what they love to tell you: "Ah, oh, it's nothing personal." Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> you can say that all you want, but that doesn't change anything. Well, you know, hey, we know we know Sam and seeing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we decided to go somewhere else. That's rejection, and I'm telling you, a, a lot of servants. Deal deal with that. It's kind of like, what did I say? What did I do? What did we do? What did we say? And it's this this fear uh, of disapproval or rejection. When we say we're insecure people, it's a chronic sense of inferiority. Does that resonate with anybody in this room? Like, man, I I don't know that I'm good enough to do that. I I don't know that I'm talented enough to be that. I I, I don't know if I'm pure enough to be that that way. Man, how do I fit into this puzzle? In fact, the longer I think about it, I think everybody in this room feels insignificant. Maybe has some kinds of intensities, but but has a whole lot of insecurities. But you know, I want to encourage you about something tonight. If you're sitting here feeling like, man, I feel kind of insecure that way, can I give you some good news tonight? The Bible is filled with people like that. Can I just give you a few? I mean, we don't have time to go through all of them, but can I just give you a few? Well, whether you give me permission or not, I'm going to take it, so. How about Moses? You don't think Moses was insecure, that he failed? How did he fail? He failed miserably. He murdered a man. And then he became a shepherd. You want to talk about insignificant. He's on the backside of the desert. Nobody hardly knows this guy exists. And he runs into the burning bush and has a conversation with Jehovah in that bush. And God says, I want to use you. And what does Moses say? You do what? I'm just a shepherd. Well, you you got any tools? No. Well, what's in your hand? A stick. That's insignificant. Everybody's got a stick. If you don't have a stick, there's one right there. Just pick it up. I mean, you know, like, totally insignificant. God says, Well, here, I got a job for you. I want you to march into Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him to let the Israelites go. All one million of them. I mean, let them go. When? Tomorrow. I I can't do that. I'm not eloquent. Most Bible students believe because he said he was slow of speech that he had a stuttering problem. Could you imagine him saying that? I'm not trying to poke fun. I'm just saying, could you see him say, How am I going to say that to Pharaoh. I heard Curtis Hudson preaching one time. He told, he told a story about how God told Moses to throw that stick on the ground. Remember, it turned into a serpent. And then God said, grab it by the tail. And the way Curtis Hudson told the story, I'll never forget it. He said, Lord, Lord I don't speak well. Now I don't hear very well. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think he wasn't insecure? About his past? Insecure about his abilities? Insecure about his position? You you, you don't think he he wasn't insecure? You better believe he was, but how many many would admit with me God used Moses in a pretty unique way? God used Moses to overcome insecurities. God used Moses to overcome these fears of inferiority. God used him in a great way, and he can use me, and he can use you in spite of your insecurities. I'll give you another one, Gideon. Gideon just completely, man, I'm the the run of the litter. I mean, what, what in the world? You don't want me. We know that he was threshing his wheat in such a way that he was kind of a coward. He was away from everybody. And God said, listen, you're exactly the kind of guy I want to use. Because I'm going to maximize my glory using somebody like you. See, when you think of insecure feelings in your own life, man, that's fine. Recognize them. Because I want to tell you tonight, it is important that you know who you are. It's important that you know how God has wired you. Because it's then that you can can fully understand His purpose for you. Again, I'm telling you that tonight, I don't care how, how confident somebody acts. You know, a lot of times these people that strut around and they're like, I ain't afraid of nobody know-how and I do take nothing from nobody and they act that way. Do you know a reason why a lot of people act that way? Is because they're insecure. And so the mousy guy that's like, oh man, I don't know. Yeah, that's insecurity. It's easily recognizable, isn't it? But sometimes so is the bravado. And and. and The point I'm trying to make is we all have insecurities. But here's what I've noticed. The thing that sets people apart is whether those fears and insecurities manage them or those people manage their insecurities. And when you learn to manage your insecurities, it allows you to be comfortable with who you are and then find your strength in God Rather than trying to please people by your performance. I'm not talking about, well, that's just the way I am. Listen, that, that to me is kind of a sinful attitude. Because if, if you're kind of a jerk and you just say, well, that's the way I am. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness and kindness. So you might want to change that if it's sinful. But in some ways, in some ways, guys, we understand that God made us in some ways the way we are. Not in a sinful way, but with a personality the way we are. And listen, when I recognize that I have shortcomings and weaknesses, and then I come to the conclusion that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, then I can be comfortable in my own skin and know that I'm weak. And in my flesh dwells no good thing. But God can use insecure people. And really, I don't have to please everybody with my performances. I just have to please the Lord. So let me ask you some questions tonight. Question number one is this. Do you ever feel like what you do doesn't matter? Do you ever feel that way? I know sometimes I feel that way. It doesn't matter anyway. Nobody's going to pay attention. It do not matter if I do that. It's not going to make a difference. It doesn't matter. Nobody, nobody ever notices. Can I just tell you this tonight? You know it's true. I just need to remind you. God sees and God notices. So the little things that you do that you think don't make a difference, the little things that you do that you think are insignificant, the contribution that you make that you think doesn't add up to very much, don't, don't be fooled by that. God uses insignificant things, he uses in, insignificant people. My second set of questions is this. Are you one of those people who is a bit too much sometimes? Come on, you know who you are. But I think the, the question is this, is where is your too much invested? Because, man, if, if you have an intense personality, that's Okay. You just make sure that it's plugged into the right place. Number three, do you struggle with feelings of insecurity? Out of all of these categories, I, I, I don't think I even need to ask that question. I just want to remind you tonight, God's bigger than you are. When you think about these men, that's really nothing is given, given to them. Judas, Judas, not Iscariot, has one question that he asked Jesus. And it kind of reveals his insecurity in the way he asked it. But out of that, outside of that, nothing is mentioned of these guys but their names. Nothing. And aren't you glad that God uses all different types of people? If we haven't learned anything from the study of the 12, we've learned that. Every one of these men were uniquely called, uniquely gifted. And praise God for it.